Today we continue the series of Exodus. Uh, last week was about freedom and what it looked like to be a part of the, the empires of Egypt and of Rome and then how we can operate out of the kingdom of God and what it looks like to be uh, empire-focused or kingdom-minded. And hopefully we're switching to be kingdom-minded. We're going to carry on that theme a little bit more with uh, today's topic, what it looks like to be a nation that was set free. If you imagine the whole grouping of people is enslaved and what that looks like to be actually set free. And there's a lot of things that we can extrapolate from this book of Exodus to our own lives. What it looks like to be in bondage and have junk shackling us and then what it looks like to start operating out of the freedom that Christ gives us. And a question for me about freedom that often comes up in my own head is I get the whole idea that Christ died for my sins and I've been set free, but then why does life still stink? Is it, do you ever feel guilty about thinking that? You're like, can I nod? Am I, can I shake my head? Um, and that's, that's kind of the topic I want to talk about today because um, I fall into this faulty belief that, oh, I got, I got my Jesus and so everything's punky-dory from now on. And that's not how life goes. Newsflash. Um, and if, if you, well, if you haven't experienced pain or trouble, good. Except tomorrow you'll probably experience pain and trouble. So that's just how that goes. Um, so we kind of deal with that. But what does that look like? Does that mean my God is faulty, that he's not big enough, that he's not good enough, that he doesn't love me enough? Why does this stuff happen? So we're going to kind of work into that today. And hopefully that's pretty... Uh, Maybe answer some questions or help you through uh, what freedom can look like for you. The main thought that kind of wraps today's whole idea is this. Freedom is a moment and, it's an important and, a lifetime journey. Freedom is a moment and a lifetime journey. And Exodus shows us this perfectly. The night of the Passover, if you do not know the Exodus story, um, read, there's a book in the Bible. It's the second book of the Bible called Exodus. It's a fabulous read, great stuff, one of the most action-packed uh, books of the Bible there is, so it's a great place to start out. Also, there is a myriad of movies that you can rent uh, about Exodus. Please, if you rent one of those movies, go back and read the Bible, because um, there are things that have been way uh, taken out of context. Um, but it's a good way just to get to know the uh, the, the story, and you'll be quoting Charlton Heston for a long time if you watch the old one. Uh, so there's that. But freedom is a moment in a lifetime journey. What do I mean by that? In the Exodus story, there's this moment, the Passover. It is the moment in which the sacrificial lamb's blood has been put on the doorposts of uh, the doors of all the Israelite people. And what happens is the angel of death passes over that and kills the firstborn of all the Egyptians. The Israelites get up and walk out while all the Egyptians are mourning, rightfully so, the, the firstborn of their, I mean, their cows, their horses, their pigs, their chickens. I don't even know if they had chickens. Um, they all, the firstborn, all whoop, gone. Sons, all gone. And so you imagine the outcry, the, the, the mourning that is happening in that. And so the Israelites get up and start on their way. It was this freedom in which they're, their, or this moment in which their freedom is purchased. And there is no, it's not coincidence that Jesus' 
moment of buying our salvation and paying for us and his blood happens at Passover. It's the moment of freedom again. There's these two sections. It can be argued that the Bible is really about two, the same story twice. It is about the exodus and the people becoming who they are going to be and working the, the relationship through God for the next couple thousand years and messing it up. And then Jesus coming, doing the Passover again, buying people out of slavery again, and then how Acts is how we're supposed to do it right. Okay, it's these... The Bible gets real, it's a really complicated book. It gets really simple when you start looking at, at phases like this. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, you got that for free. That wasn't in here, so now my brain is. Uh, freedom is a moment in a lifetime journey. And so there you have the Passover happens. The Passover happens and all their freedom is bought. But then guess what happens? There's, that's in like chapter 6. There's another good 23 or so chapters left of Exodus. What happens there? If it happened like I want freedom to happen, whoop, one stop, everybody, we're in the promised land. We, just, we don't even have to walk there. God just beams me up and like it does it like an enterprise Scotty thing. right? And that's how we deal with our own problems. I've got this bondage. I'm in this slavery. I'm in this junk. I'm in this stuff. God, can you get me out of this? I'm done. I have no more temptation. You know, all the things that I'm addicted to or, or struggling with or all that bondage that I've had, the, the abuse in my past or the depression in my past, it's immediately gone. Everything's, whew, it's done. That would be fantastic. It's not the way it works. There's a moment of buying your freedom there where you don't have to deal with the past anymore. The past is gone. But in, as in Exodus, as in our own lives, there is a 40-year journey getting ready to happen in the desert. There is a journey that happens. Well, why is that journey happening? I think it happens for us and it happens for them. Because if you imagine a people in slavery for 500 years, they have a slavery mindset. They have the idea of, oh, we're we're slaves. And all the self-esteem problems that come with that, all the entitlement stuff that comes along with that, all these things that, that happen with a slavery mindset. We see that today in like a hostage mindset. We, we see it over and over again of people like, how could you ever think that way? Well, I've been psychologically messed up. And this whole 40-year process is over and over again, God showing him that he is not operating like the Egyptian slave owners, that he has got something better for them. And it's a 40-year shift in mindset where he is trying to transform them into from slaves to conquerors. And you can't get any farther apart in mindsets from a slave to a conqueror because what he's got is a promised land for them but the people that came out of egypt they are not ready to take their inheritance and for us that applies directly to us by saying we come out of our junk we come out of our stuff it's been paid for it's bought for but we're not ready we're still fragile we'll still we got a journey to go on to get to where god has us to really experience this freedom on the journey and i think our actions mimic the exodus the israelite and jewish act i'm going to interchange the word israelite and jews they're the same people if that's confusing to you i'm sorry but they're the same people it kind of changes sometime in history but i just kind of throw both those words out um but if you don't know you're like who's he talking about now i don't understand what's going on there you go they're the same people 
What does it mean to be enslaved? Maybe you're asking yourself, I don't know if I've been in this enslaved, I don't know what you're talking about in this bondage idea. I don't know what that looks like. Well, Webster says enslaved means to lose your freedom of action or choice. That's a pretty broad definition of slavery. And if we think about the actions of our life, the things of our life, if we've ever been addicted to something, whether it's alcohol, drugs, pornography, gambling, video games, the view, (laughs) anything, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, if you're so inclined, however you are. If you're addicted to it, you know, you can't, you're like, oh, I got to get away, I got to watch it, I got to watch it. You're enslaved to it because you lose your freedom of action or choice. When you can't think about anything else, when it dominates your day, when you go, oh, I got to get on there. I got to do this. Start shaking, thinking about it. Someone's talking to you and you're just like, the Charlie Brown's teacher. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. it." You are enslaved. So slavery is very real to you now. Think about that. It doesn't have to be someone with literal chains on your hands for you to be dealing with slavery. We all deal with this kind of stuff. Some of us have very obsessive-minded tendencies. We really get into something. I go from hobby to hobby to hobby to hobby to hobby to hobby to hobby. My hobby is to have hobbies. (laughs) It drives Kelly insane. So now I think they're into predicting my next hobby. Like Kelly and her mom will like collude together and just be like, let's buy him a bunch of this random stuff. See if he makes a hobby out of that one. Uh, it's just fun. Uh, but that's, that's my hobby is to have hobbies. But when you do that, you're like, oh, you get so focused on this stuff and you can't break away from it. Some of it's fun and some of it's little, but some of it's very destructive. And anything in a, that's enslaving your actions and you don't have any choice, you can't, you can't get away from whatever that thing is. It can be as silly as something like The View, but if you're just, I've got to watch these ladies bicker about things. I'm sorry if that's your deal. Um, it's really <laughs> But if we're enslaved, we lose our freedom and our action, our choice. As in with literal slavery, with chains and bondage, and they tell you where to go and all that stuff, to the things that we probably more deal with. There's three ways to know if you are enslaved to something. If it dominates your thoughts and keeps you away from the activities you should be doing, It controls your actions and motives for being around certain people and situations. This is a filter to work through. I don't know if this is really a problem. Does it control your actions, your motives? And also, it keeps you from engaging in healthy behavior. Or sometimes, maybe it's working out you're addicted to. and It's a healthy thing, but it's keeping you from Engaging with your family, people around you. Got to go to the gym, got to go to the gym, got to go to the gym. This is not my problem. (laughs) Used to be, used to be. Not my hobby right now. (laughs) I really need it to be my hobby again. Amen. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's funny right there. That's funny. All right. Um, When... When, they, when the Israelite people rebel against God in their 
their story, and their, and their walk. It's always for two things. And I think these two things also reflect back into ours. It's always for provision and protection. It's always for provision and protection. The only things that being a slave gives you is provision and protection. Think about it. It's a false provision and a false protection, but that's what it gives you. It gives you maybe an identity. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is where my time goes. This is what my thoughts go on. It gives you a false sense of of protection and provision, but it's it's there, and so we, we gravitate towards it. We fall into it. The, slave, or the, the slaves of the, the Jewish people do this as well. When they came out, they kept on thinking about, and, and this is over and over again in the scripture, and this is one of the most like head-scratching, like, what? Why? What? Why are you whining about this? Moments. But if you think about it, we do the same thing too. First is this, provision. They're whining about provision. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, I know Moses is going, y'all remember a different Egypt than I do. Because I remember an Egypt where I was put in a little basket and pushed down the river with the alligators or crocodiles there. Because they were killing all the three-year-old and under boys. That's the Egypt, that's the Egypt I remember. You remember sitting around and having a feast all the time? Because that's these dots don't connect, but we have food there. Yeah, except they told you exactly what you could eat, when you could eat, where you could eat, how you could eat. And God's response to this is, oh, you're whining about that. And he gives them manna. He rains food down on their heads. And the Bible says it tasted like a honey rice cake, which does not sound very good to me. But to think about it, you have no sugar, you have no sweet and low, you have no uh, stevia or whatever it's called. You have none of this stuff. Honey is a pretty hot commodity. So to think about it, that he doesn't just give them food to eat. He gives them something that tastes the best it possibly could. He gives them more than they could ever have. And later, they start oh, they're whining about the manna. Ugh, these rice cakes. I want something else to eat. This is, this is kind of like my kids. I gave them their first, um, well, Jimmy gave them their first butterscotch pudding. He enables them to do all kinds of things, but that's okay. Uh, he gave them their first butterscotch pudding. And they were like, oh, that first taste. The first taste of butterscotch pudding, butterscotch malt. You're like, oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. And so my son's reaction to if a little spoonful, because I knew what butterscotch pudding is going to do to your, your taste buds. He's got the biggest spoonful of butterscotch pudding you've ever seen. It's mounded. Like a cup and one teaspoon. It doesn't taste so good yet. It's called being rich. It's a little bit of sugar. There's actually, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's something called too much sugar. <laughs> I don't understand this idea. And so the, the, uh, the Israelites are kind of dealing with the same process. As you've, they've, they're stuffing their face so much with these honey rice cakes that they're like, oh, I ate too much. Yeah, because you have no self-control. Because you still have the slave mindset that stuff might be gone tomorrow, and I have to just stuff. You're not, you're not depending on God for your daily bread. It's come every day for 40 years, and you're still... You see the problem? 
And we do the same thing. We don't trust God for provision. We don't trust God that he's actually going to go away tomorrow, that he's not going to forgive us anymore, that he's not going to walk us through anything anymore. So we stuff ourselves, and all of a sudden we find ourselves a little sick to our stomach and going, oh, I don't feel so good. Because we don't trust him to be there tomorrow. Same thing happens with the quail. Same exact stinking thing happens with the quail. I don't want this man anymore. I don't want quail. I want these meat. We ate meat in Egypt. Really? And so it happens, and they found this scientific thing that actually happens ever so, like, thousand years in Egypt, is there's this wind stream that comes down off the Mediterranean, and these migratory patterns of quail go up to, I think, Turkey and back down into Ethiopia. And so they're going back and forth, and there's this weird, big uh, jet stream that changes every once in a while, and it pushes the quail off their pattern. And they can't, there's no food in the Sinai Peninsula, so they're like, uh-oh, we got a problem. And they just drop out of exhaustion because they, they, there's no water, there's no food. They got issues. And so what's happening is God has instituted this thing at the right time, at the right place. He's amazing. So he can feed these people. And so <laughs> people are walking out of their house. And like, oh my God. Can you imagine these five-pound birds <laughs> just dropping out of the sky? <laughs> Moses, we had 10 concussions today. What happened? Quail. <laughs> right? What's going on? It's in the Bible. I'm not, I'm not even making this up. Uh, I promise. And so these quail, not the concussion part, but anyway, they are falling from heaven. And so they're falling from the sky, and these, these, these quail are coming down, and people are, are getting these quail to eat. He's providing not more. Now, they just wanted like one chicken. They're just like, I want one lamb, God. Could we, could we do with that? No, 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 no. You're going to be up to your eyeballs in this delicacy known as quail. And so they... Eight and eight and eight, and the Bible says that, like their stomach are bursting because they just gorged again because they didn't trust in the provision that God was giving them. They didn't trust in the freedom that he really was walking them through. The second thing is protection. Numbers 14, 2 to 3 says, All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in those wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They don't trust that God is actually going to protect them. They would rather feel the safety of a slaver's hand than trusting God. Because if you're a slave, you will be protected because you are property. And I protect my property but I don't treat my property with respect. I don't give them ownership. I don't give them freedom. And in the bondage and the stuff in our lives, we go to it because we want protection, because we want provision, but it's only false provision and protection. God is trying to change their mindsets as he's working on our mindsets as well. And one of the most beautiful things I think is really overlooked in the scripture is this idea of Sabbath. And Jesus deals with Sabbath a lot, but Sabbath is this, it's, oh, keep the Sabbath holy. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the first things you learn in Sunday school if you went to Sunday school. What is Sabbath? This is a weird word. Keep the Sabbath holy. What does that mean? I'll read it to you. Exodus 28 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to your Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Why is this a big deal? They are slaves in Egypt, which means they tell you when to wake up, when to eat, what to do, when to do it, where to do it. You have to ask for potty breaks. You have to ask for water breaks. You have to work every minute of every day until they say you can go to sleep. One of the first rules that God gives them is says, you must take a day off. Isn't that cool? Like, you have no freedom over anything in your life. And God's rule is this. I'm going to come down with ten rules. And one of them is, take a day off. Not once. Not twice. Every single week. This is unheard of. This is, like, we think, oh, we get a weekend. We got a five-day week. That is not, that wasn't even a thing in this country until, like, 1920. So, Thousands of years ago, God's like, no, 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 take a day off. I'm your God. You have to trust me that I will provide with you. I will give you, I will protect you. I will do all these things for you. Take a day off. Enter Jesus into this picture. Thousands of years go by and the Jewish people have seen this day of rest and made it this convoluted mess. They built walls around it and rules around it and I can only take 304 steps. If I take that 305 step, that's actually work. And so now I'm in trouble. And they did all these different things about it. And Jesus is constantly getting in trouble if you read the, the Gospels about doing stuff on the Sabbath. It's like, that's not what the Sabbath was about. The Sabbath was about you don't have to work today, not because I have to follow rules today. It was about freedom. And I think sometimes even in our own, when we step into our freedom, we make church, oh, oh, I got to do this, that's that, and I got to hold my tongue right, and I got to oh, do all these things right. And we've just exchanged one form of bondage for another form of bondage. And God's like, no, 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 no. I'm giving you freedom. Real freedom. And it's our slave mentality. It's the mentality of how obsessed we were with our bondage and with our stuff that we try to make our relationship with God that same sort of bondage. And that's not with the case. He's like, no, 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 I gave you a day off. Your job, your one job is to rest. In me. Your one job is to say, God, thank you for today. And I don't have to do anything. It's your one job. And we lose this. Some of you right now are wishing I'd stop talking so you could go back to your to-do list. I'm glad I didn't get any amens on that. <laughs> but we let the to-do list bondage us. We let the to-do list take a hold of us. When God's saying, listen, rest in me. What do we do with this? How do we experience freedom in a lifestyle of freedom? The first thing we do is we pray for freedom over the issue. I think we have, to, I guess the first thing we do is we have to recognize that there is an issue. There is a stuff. There is a bondage. There is a thing. And I go back to my earlier points of even the definition. Have we lost our freedom of action or cho choice? Is there something that is dominating you so much that you can't stop thinking about it? You can't stop worrying about it? You can't stop 
um, manipulating in your mind that it's, it's kept you from actually making right choices in your life. That means that you have, it has bondage over you. It has dominion over you. How do we have freedom over that? The first step is pray for freedom over the issue, that God would start you on this journey of freedom, that he would release you from this bondage. And this happens. God does that. He will. That's what the sacrifice on the cross is for. He releases you from your past and says it doesn't matter anymore. It's us that keeps on bringing up our old past. Pray for freedom over the issue. God, when, he, when we meet God in Exodus story, I think Exodus 6, I think, it is, he's talking to Moses and he says, I've heard my people's cry and I'm going to free them. This is what he wants to do. He's waiting for his people to cry out and he comes in and frees them. This is what brings him joy. This is what he's doing. Remember, the two pillars, the Old and the New Testament, is all about freedom, him rescuing us and setting us free. Pray for it. Second thing is take responsibility. You have a part to play in your own freedom. They, it wasn't the beam me up Scotty thing that I talked about earlier. They had to walk across the desert. The manna was not just implanted into their bellies. They had to go outside and pick it up. They had, the quail was not served, plucked, deboned, soaked in a rosemary glaze, right? They had to pluck it. They had to cut the heads off. They had to gut it. They had to do all the messy, nasty stuff. They had to do all these things. They had to take responsibility. They still had to eat it <gasps> so hard. We have to take responsibility for our actions in this. Every day, as we say, we're choosing freedom and walking along this with God. I got a, a text this week from someone in the church. It's just, I just thought this was great. Someone who recognized that bondage was starting to take hold of her life and that she needed a release from it. It starts like this. Regarding Facebook. Uh-oh, I'm stepping on toes now. Right? Regarding Facebook, I was only on it for two weeks, and I had to go cold turkey. It took over my life. Didn't do much else. Had to cut, a, cut way back on reading, especially the word and praying. When I was using, I knew I had to quit then. I like that she uses Facebook in the same terms as drugs. I knew I had to quit then. With my ADD, it doesn't take much to get me distracted big time. Sorry to miss your post, but I'm staying clean for now. <laughs> this is her in regard to Facebook. Because she knew she had to take responsibility that this is keeping me away from praying. This is keeping me away from reading the word. This is keeping me away from experiencing God and from healthy interactions and healthy relationship. I don't know. Maybe it's as silly as something like Facebook because it can mess you up. But so can a myriad of other things in our life. Take responsibility for our freedom. God has given to us. It's our, ours to own. And thirdly, finally, operate out of freedom instead of slavery. That's what that 40-year journey was about, was changing mindsets for be one of freedom instead of slavery. John 15, 15 says, I no longer call you servants. This is Jesus talking. 
because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. The Greek word here as servants is actually doulos, which literally means slave. We've gentled it up by calling it servants. We've made it nicer, more PC by calling it servants. It's doulos, slave. I no longer call you slave. This is Jesus talking. I no longer call you what? Slave, but I've set you free. I call you what? Friend. A friend is an equal. A friend is someone who walks with you, not behind you. Doesn't carry your water for you. They carry it for you because they love you. We sing this song, I'm a friend of God. We haven't sung it lately, but can sing it. We sing it and it's rote. And, oh, okay. It repeats itself a lot. I don't really like it. But we think about it. The statement of this verse, I no longer call you slave. I have set you free, and now I call you friend. And this is the the freedom that we can operate out of, that we need to start operating and owning the idea that we are friends of God, that he has set us free, and that we are, the old is gone, and we can operate out of this. Because far too often we're sucked back into, oh, I'm worthless. Oh, I did this. Oh, I did that. Oh, my past is this. Oh, this junk is weighing me here. Oh, this is here. And we're just, we just keep on binding ourselves up all over the place until we can't move. And it's the same thing over and over again when God's like, I just set you free from that. I thought about it this way. It's like um, we have a bad injury. Maybe we have cancer or gangrene or something nasty. And we have to get our, and our foot is just killing us. It's just killing us. And every heartbeat is a new level of pain in your foot. Maybe, maybe you felt this way with, uh, if you got uh, your wisdom teeth infected and impacted. Mm. There's a small club that it's painful, right? And you can feel every heartbeat in your mouth or every heartbeat in your foot when there's something wrong. And the doctor says we're going to have to remove that, and they cut it off, pull up a tooth. And you have that phantom pain. You can still feel that pain in there. And you still limp or you still, you still deal with the issue. Like you still, for, if you've done this with a tooth, you still don't eat on that side for like weeks after, do you? It's fixed. It ain't even there anymore. They killed it. And we, we still operate that way. And I think some, and spiritually we operate the same way. We, we operate like we're still in bondage, even though it's been fixed. It's been taken away. It's been paid for. It's been, we got a replacement. For you today, I want us to operate out of freedom. I want us to live a life of freedom. That we're not bound by the junk, the stuff, the things that enslave us and keep away our choice and our actions. Because that's a lot broader than just, oh, I'm addicted to drugs. Because automatically our, our head might go there. But whatever is, is keeping us in our actions and our choices, whatever is limiting those things, that's the slavery. That's the bondage. How do we give, operate out of freedom with God? He wants to set us free today and walk with us and provide for us over and over again. Every time God provides for the Israelites, he provides an overabundance that more they can ever imagine. 
He protects them better than they can imagine. He gives them more water than they can imagine. He gives them more manna than they can take. He gives them more quail than they could ever eat. In our lives, it's true as well. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. And thank you for this moment and this time and these people. Lord, we ask you to guide us and be with us and set us in a lifestyle of freedom, that we will be slaves no longer, that we'll be a people set free and we'll operate out of that freedom. God, that you will shape us and care for us. That as we want, it feels like maybe we're just wandering in the desert and we've been here before, Lord, that you will lead us and you will guide us to the promised land, that we will become the people that you want us to be. God, right now, if only there's people in this room, even for myself, that I fall back into my old patterns, I fall back into my old bondage. God, I, I ask for you to set me free. Let me see how to live a life of freedom, the life that you have designed for me, that can operate as a friend of God, not as a slave. Lord, we love you. We praise your name. Amen.